Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. We all know worry. We all know what worry feels like. We've all experienced worry at some point in our life. For some people, worry seems to be a part of their personality, a part of their ongoing disposition. In fact, scientists about 15 years ago discovered a gene that's linked to worry. It's the PGAP2 gene. And now if you have a personality of worry, you're now worried that you have the PGAP2 gene, right? So some people, it's just worry seems to be not just second nature, it seems to be first nature to you. For other people, and and I'm I'm in the first category, by the way, and the second category are those people whose worry is more situational, that there are just certain events and certain circumstances and situations that trigger an episode of worry. And when people often experience worry as an episodic event, they go, man, I just, I'm living with all of this worry and anxiety right now over this, and I want to say, welcome to my world. Because that's a, a worrier by disposition. They feel that way almost all the time. Here's the deal. Our, our coping mechanisms today really aren't working all that well. In fact, with the onset of COVID-19, alcohol sales doubled overnight. Pornography skyrocketed. Pornography use on the internet skyrocketed. And on top of that, calls to suicide hotlines increased by 1,000%. There's so much stress and situations going in our culture right now that whether you experience it as a personal disposition or episodically, worry just seems to saturate our culture. So would you stop for just a moment And if you're like me, the secondary emotion you feel in response to worry is exhaustion. You're just tired. So this morning, would you open your heart just a little bit and just listen to the words of the Lord? We'll read them here in just a minute, but just for a moment first, just listen. So I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, Is not the body more important than food and your life more important than clothes? See the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet I tell you that your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at how the grass of the field grows, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire. I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if that is how God clothes the, the flowers of the field, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So I tell you, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them, but you Seek first God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. I've been quoting from Matthew chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6 right there. We're going to spend some time looking at the words of Jesus, and here's the challenge. These words sound so good, they're so hard to live. So I'm going to walk through this passage 
I want to look at some of the layers and insight that Jesus gives us about worry. And then at the end, I hope to give some practical applications to say, here is where we start. And I think it's important, first of all, just to define what worry is. And there's a lot of different words used in different languages for worry that I think are very descriptive. Worry in the Greek language that's used here in Matthew chapter 6 is merimenete. It means to divide the mind. And if you've ever experienced worry, you know you're trying to think about what you should, but your mind is divided. Our English word anxiety is related to the English word that means to strangle, okay? So whatever else worry is, when you're worried, it's hard to think clearly and it's hard to breathe easy. So here would be my simple working definition of worry. And it's going to sound a little judgmental at first. That's my intent. No, it's not my intent. It might sound judgmental, but hear me out on this. Worry is a self centered lack of trust. Worry is a self-centered, okay, we know something that matters to us, okay, we're worried about things that affect me. We might say we're worried about our kids, and we are, but we're more concerned about if something happened to our kids, what that will do to us. So worry is something that's important to us, but it's also a lack of trust. We're certain that we care about this, we're just not sure that God cares about this the same way that we do or with the same urgency. But now here's the good news. It's like a eucalyptus tree. The roots of a eucalyptus tree go down 300 feet. And oftentimes their roots will go down so deep that they'll actually tap into a seam of before undiscovered gold. And because gold, that metallic substance is not good for a eucalyptus tree, It'll bring it up through the xylem and the phloem and excrete it out through the leaves. And so if you ever see a eucalyptus tree with gold flecks on it, you know where the gold is. It'll point to what's underground. Worry is a gift because it can actually reveal to you where you have yet to trust, to truly trust Christ as Lord. So when I say that that worry is a self-centered act of distrust, it's not, oh, you need to feel bad about it. Actually use it for the positive thing that it is. Use it to say, okay, now I understand where I have yet to trust Christ for what matters to me the most. Make sense? Good. (laughs) Make sense? All right, all right. So there's still some clapping going on. That's all good. Verse 25, here's what Jesus says. This is Matthew 6, verse 25, his whole segment on worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. By the way, Jesus says, do not worry. He says it three times here in this passage. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Like a good parent, he repeats the things that matter most. But also, what we see here is that if you're over the top worried today, this doesn't have to be your life anymore. There's a choice in this. There's a a command. Jesus will never give us a command that somehow we're not able to learn how to obey. Now, it's an easy no, but there's that that opportunity to change. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Will you eat or drink about your body, what you will wear? Is not the body more important than food? Uh, Life more important than food? The body more important than clothes? Jesus draws a really big circle around everything that concerns us, either what's inside of us, food, or what's outside of us, clothes. Everything that's happening internally and externally, he says, this kind of covers it all. But then Jesus is going to give two astounding illustrations. And the complexity 
And the layers of what he reveals here I find absolutely fascinating, and we're only going to go down a couple of levels here, but just stay with me. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. First thing I would tell you is that word birds is a masculine word. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. Sowing and reaping in Jesus' day was farm work. It was a man's work. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Could it be that Jesus here is talking specifically to men and trying to make sure that we provide enough? Now, I know some of this sounds sexist. Please filter some of that today. I'm not trying to sound that way. I'm just trying to report that maybe Jesus is talking to those of us who are men and who are really strung out and stressed out about providing. And I know women provide just as, I know all that, please just, am I being too cautious about my words here today? You know what I'm saying, okay. What does Jesus say here? Notice that last phrase, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? I don't think that's the best translation because that word that's used there is who of you by worrying can add a span to his life. And a span could mean a block of time, but it also could mean a block of height. So if I ask you today, by the time you leave here, I need you to grow a span, which would be about half a meter, you would not be able to do it. But as you grow from childhood to adulthood, you know how much you grow? About a span. So what happens here is we can try to accomplish something quickly, but God usually wants to do things slowly. Do you know that catch-up moves at a speed of 25 miles per year? Aren't you glad you know that now? 25 miles per year. When it comes out of the bottle, that's the speed, 20, not 25 miles an hour, 25 miles per year, meaning the good things often happen slowly, don't they? If you're looking to provide God to provide, sometimes He always won't work in our time frame, but even when you can't see it, He's working. Even when you can't feel it, He's working, sometimes slowly. Trust Him. Then Jesus is going to use a feminine word. And he says, why do you worry about clothes? Verse 28, see how the flowers of the field grow. He uses a feminine word for flowers. They do not labor or spin. Laboring and spinning, sowing and spinning was typically females' work within a home. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And so maybe Jesus talks about that same warrior from a female point of view and wondering, are we going to have enough? This is something fascinating to me. But for years, scientists have known that windstorms that sweep across the Sahara Desert, they churn up about 12 million tons of sand every year up into the atmosphere. What they've never understood is where that sand goes. So it goes up into the atmosphere, and as it moves out over the Atlantic Ocean, some leading storm fronts pick it up and carry it all the way across the Atlantic and as those storms turn into rain, it falls down on the rainforest of South America. Again, you've moved all the way from Africa up into the atmosphere, down into South America, and those sands come down with the rain, and those sands are rich in phosphorus, which allows the rainforest to grow. In other words, God uses the desert to, to 
feed the forest so that the forest itself does not become a desert. Even when you can't see it, God is working. Even when you can't feel it, God is working. There are times that God operates in ways that are invisible to our natural eyes. Trust Him anyway. So then Jesus, I believe, is going to give us some really sound counsel. Okay, we get that. That God works often slowly. He works in hidden ways. We're to try to trust Him, but how do I actually do this? Jesus said, do not worry about what you eat or drink or about your body, what you wear, for the pagans run after all of these things, and, verse 32, your heavenly Father. I want you to focus on those three words for just a moment. While you're at it, you can just go ahead and add the fourth word. Your heavenly Father knows. And we've talked before about why Jesus taught us to call God our heavenly Father because in His world, as in our world today, the Father was the final authority over His family, and the Father's duty was to be intimately acquainted with each one of His children. That's the Father. He has the final authority over us, and He knows exactly what we need. My wife's best friend, when she was 14 years old, she went out on her first date. She lived out in the country. And the young boy that took her on a date was a junior in high school, taking her to junior prom as a 14-year-old girl. I can tell you as a dad how I would feel about that. So she tells the story. Her date came out into the country and picked her up. And I kind of see this as a movie scene because they're now in the car together. And so there's a circle drive, and they're getting ready to, to go back out the gravel road to hit the highway. And so as, as the car is turning around, I just imagine the headlights. And as he's turning around, all of a sudden there's a man standing in the middle of the road with a machete. <laughs> and this 14-year-old girl, who now is my wife's best friend, she says to her date, oh, don't worry, that's just my dad. <laughs> is it just me, or do those phrases not go together? <laughs> don't worry. It'd be better to say, don't worry, that's just a serial killer. That's okay, but say, don't worry, it's my dad. So he stops the car, rolls down the window. Dad shifts the machete to his left hand, and he reaches in with a gloved hand. He shakes the young man's hand, introduces himself, asks his name, and he said, son, I've been clearing poison ivy all day. I'm shaking your hand right now. There better not be a bit of poison ivy on my daughter when she gets home. Where was that when I needed it? Where was that when I needed it? So just think about this. I, I believe God is that kind of father. He's very protective over us. And nobody's going to lay a hand on you without him knowing it. Amen. Now, what if you've been through something very terrible in your life? And you say, well, where was God then? I don't have a full answer for you. What I can say is this, that whatever God allows or wills or permits to touch us in life carries within it the seeds either to grow further away from Him or to draw close to Him. God will never permit something to happen in your life that does not carry with it the potential of you drawing closer to Him. That choice is yours. Can I tell you, whatever's going on today, whatever you're worried about today, 
your heavenly Father knows. He knows. He might be operating in ways that's really slow or very unseen, but even when you can't see it, He's working. Even when you can't feel it, He's working. So I believe Jesus gives one more bit of counsel here. Your heavenly Father knows, but you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be taken care of as well. So here's a living illustration of this. Whenever I do a a family dedication, the family comes out here, and usually the baby is not sure who I am yet, okay? So I've got to take this baby who has the potential of screaming its head off, and I often have you help me. You've seen this before. I'll say, as soon as I take the baby, I'm going to hold that baby up, and you just go wild, okay? Like you had the ORU choir here today, just go wild, right? And so I'll do that. I'll hold the baby up. You all clap. And all of a sudden, the baby isn't thinking about me anymore. It's not even thinking about who's holding me. It's wondering who all you strange people are. So if I tell you, don't worry about the circumstances that have you in its grip right now, it's going to be impossible. If I say, don't worry about this, by me telling you not to worry about it, you're going to focus on it more. What we need is divine distraction. What we need to say is, I need to train my thoughts to go over here on something that really matters. I need to start seeking God. I need to start seeking His kingdom, what it means for Him to be king in my life, His righteousness, what it means to seek justice in the world. And as I change my focus, I forget about whatever scary thing has me in its grip over here. By the way, most of what we worry about is a lie. Most of what we worry about in our lives is ourselves telling ourselves things that have no basis in reality at all. It's pretty simple. You get on a plane, if you're a nervous flyer, you're thinking this plane's going to crash. You have no basis of believing that at all. It's something you've told yourself and, chances are, you've just told yourself a lie. So what we need to start doing is we need to learn to tell ourselves the truth. Oh, by the way, that happens to be a great title of a book. William Backus, who died many, many years ago, every couple of years, I don't mind telling you, every couple of years I work through this workbook again, learning to tell myself the truth. It's been a great resource to me. He's a follower of Jesus, and he says, if we're telling ourselves lies, you know the best thing we need to learn how to tell ourselves? The truth and the truth that's in Scripture. Now, is it a quick fix? No, but you're learning to ha- how to use different muscles and how to tell yourself what you know is true more than just what you've made up. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave this book up here on the platform. Go up and snap, snap a picture if you want to. Or even better yet, outside our welcome room this morning, there's one on a podium out here. Don't take it, but you can take a picture of it. If you absolutely can't afford the book, if you can, buy it on your own. If you absolutely can't, you let me know. This is the kind of tool that we learn to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, who God really is and what He wants us to know, rather than telling ourselves lies. James on Curry. He holds the record of the shortest career in the NBA. He was drafted by the Chicago Bulls, bounced around a couple of different organizations, finally signed on with the LA Clippers. And a couple of years ago, James on Curry went out on the court for 2.9 seconds. 
came off the court, and that was the first, the last, the only time that he ever played on an NBA basketball court. That's still more than most people have done, right? Think about this. We don't determine how long we have here. We don't determine how long we're in the game. We don't determine how long God will use us. But we have the opportunity right here, right now, every second that you and I have been given to learn to trust God more. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, He is working. And I'll end with this. And I've often said this before. If God were to say three words to you today, He would say these words. I've got you. I've got you. Now, if I could encourage you to say something back to God, it would be this. You've got me. Let's stand together and let's pray together. So, Father, for those of us in here who are worried about something in particular today, I pray for Your grace to cover over us. For those of us in here today who have that disposition, that personality of worry, well, we've got some work to do. By this command, You have let it be known that we have a choice. We don't have to continue to go down this road. And while there are no quick fixes, we thank You for Your patience with us. May we be patient with ourselves. And would we hear today very clearly that Heavenly Father, You know what's going on. Your hand of protection is on us. Would we also know that we are made for bigger thoughts? We are made for bigger things than just the little lies that we tell ourselves. Would we focus on what it means for You to be the King of our lives and for Your justice and righteousness to be working out in our world? In other words, help us to get our eyes off of ourselves long enough to put our eyes on somebody else that we are called to serve in Jesus' name. So I pray for the load of worry to lighten. Many of us are the walking warriors. Would we realize that there's an alternative to that exhaustion and that we can, over time, because of your grace, learn to trust you. This we pray because you've got us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.